Welcome to Students in Charge. The students of Corbin Health and Rehab Group, or Charge Therapy, are here to bring you the latest research in the field of occupational therapy. Combining evidence-based practice with a fresh student perspective, they aim to promote best practice and competency within the field. Hope you're fully charged, because it's time for the Students in Charge. Welcome back to Students in Charge. As you may know, Charge Therapy is a telehealth occupational therapy company that specializes in hand, upper extremity, ergonomics, and home modifications. In this podcast, we aim to bring you insights into the field of occupational therapy. My name is Rachel, and I'm here with my charge partners, Javiva, Christina, and Grace. Today, the tables are turned, and we are interviewing the very founder of this podcast, Dr. Robin Axelrod. Dr. Axelrod has her Master's of Science and Doctorate of Occupational Therapy. She is an assistant professor in the Occupational Therapy Program at LIU Brooklyn and the founder of Forward OT. Dr. Axelrod is currently the Leadership and Management Coordinator for the AOTA Home and Community Health Special Interest Section. In 2021, Dr. Axelrod published a Mindfulness and Professional Development Planner for OT students and clinicians called the My OT Journey Planner and created this podcast, the My OT Journey Podcast, a student-run podcast platform for OT and OTA students and practitioners. Hi, Dr. Axelrod. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So could you please start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay, so what I do, um, I think when... I start to think about what I do now, I think it's important to give a history of what I, how I got to where I am today. Cause I think it really sort of shaped where I am today. Where I am today is not, it, it's, it's a little bit by chance. It's a little bit through my passion. It's through a lot of different things. Um, my life journey and how, you know, right now I am a full-time professor in the occupational therapy program at LIU Brooklyn. And I love teaching. I also am an early intervention provider and I provide early intervention services with baby zero to three. Um, I love that. I love what I do. And I'm also an author. I guess I can call myself an author because I have one book that was self-published, one book that's in um, production as we speak, and one book that is contracted. So um, I guess I can call myself an author as well and a podcast developer. Um, So all of those combined make me, I guess I would say like a multi I don't know, entrepreneurial occupational therapist. So I guess that that's what I would call myself. Um, but how did I get to where I was where I am right now? I mean, so many different things happened in, in my career journey. Um, I started out actually working in the public school system at the DOE in New York. And I was working with the autistic population primarily. Um, That was my first job out of OT school, and I thought I was just going to be working in pediatrics, and that would be my life's work. I was doing some adult home care on the side, and um, I was loving life. I loved what I did. It was great. Um, After about 10 years, I would say actually about after about seven or eight years, I started not loving going to work, and I started thinking that maybe I needed to change because one thing that I've learned is that you want to love what you do. You want to love going to work. You want to wake up excited to go to work and not just get to work and be upset and be mad and be just unhappy. Um, 
So that's when I sort of thought like, what am I going to do now with my career? And um, I had to do a lot of thinking because at that time I was a pediatric therapist. I did some adult home care, but that's what I was. And that's who I thought I'd be for forever. And reinventing myself or what my career would look like was scary. It was also uncertain. It was also unknowing. Like, what do I do now? You know, I've done this for so long and this is what I know how to do. And now what? Um, and it took a lot of, you know, um, thinking and um, I, I really didn't think of anything, but sort of like a private practice sort of came into my lap. I met a physical therapist at a home visit and he was talking about opening up a private practice and that sounded interesting to me. And I just asked him, like, would you want an OT to join you? And I still can't believe those words came out of my mouth because I was not thinking that, that way, but I guess it was something that I was wanting um, sort of just came out of my mouth and I know exactly where I was, which house I was at, how old the woman was that we were treating. I remember all the details because it was a significant moment for me. Um, we ended up, you know, working together. We found a location. We built a private practice clinic, um, an outpatient clinic for children and adults. And um, that was great. I mean, we built it from the ground up. We, you know, um, which was a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. Um, I ended up having to learn how to be accredited by insurances and how to bill insurance and all of those fun things, which you don't really get to know in OT school. And I feel like now I can better, you know, be better prepared to teach my students that because I learned it through trial and error. Um, and I had that private practice after school hours uh, for about a year or so. And then it got busy. And I was like, you know what? I think it's a time for a change. And I decided to leave the schools at that point. Um, I opened a private practice, the private practice full time. And I was a treating, managing, marketing, everything, supervising occupational therapists at that point in the clinic, which was a lot. And I loved it. And it was a lot of fun and a lot of stress. And um, it was a great experience for me. Um, after that, a couple of years of that, I was supervising students and I really liked supervising students for field work. And uh, actually, Dr. Holly Wasserman, who was the program director at LIU, reached out to me. She was the field work coordinator at the time. And she said, you know what, Robin, would you ever consider being an adjunct teaching? And I was like, um, okay. Like, it wasn't something I ever thought about. Um, it's not something that I ever, ever had any thoughts about teaching. Like I was the worst student in school, like the worst student, not in OT school, in elementary school, I was a really poor student, but, um, it wasn't something that I ever, that spoke to me that I ever thought about. And I really liked the teaching. I was an adjunct, um, at LIU and then Turo college also asked me to adjunct and I really liked the teaching. Um, at that point, I decided that I really wanted to teach full time. I went back to get my doctorate at Quinnipiac University, and um, and then I started working as a full time professor when I graduated. Um, but the podcasting and the writing, sort of, I don't know. It's more like my passion. Like I really enjoy it. I feel like I'm not the typical professor. Um, not that there's a typical professor, but I feel like I am a creative person and I need something more creative um, besides for the teaching where that could work together well with the teaching. So I enjoy submitting research. I enjoy conducting research. I enjoy the writing and the podcasting, just different aspects of that professor role. And I still love treating children, babies specifically, because 
feel like that helps me teach. That helps me give good stories and good information to students. And it also makes me feel really good by helping other people. So that's really where I am today. Um, still doing doing different things than I started out doing, but doing things that are really meaningful to me and exciting for me. And I wake up every morning and I like going to work. I like what I'm doing, um, which is great. It may change, you know, and I may need to pivot again. But for right now, I really enjoy what I'm doing. That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. So cool how you thought your life was going to be one way and then completely turned and changed direction. So for our listeners who may be occupational therapists or who are students like us about to become occupational therapists, so how were you able to transition from such different populations, different careers, you know, uh, working and then teaching and stuff like that? Um, I know that I had supervisors or spoken with other OTs who have only worked with a certain certain population for like 15 years and they can't imagine ever changing populations because they just have no idea how to treat that population. So can you give us some tips or what worked for you with how you were able to transition? Sure. So actually I, I can laugh now. I mean, I guess it's funny at this point, but when I started teaching, I really never taught in my life. I had no teaching skills. I literally just jumped right in and started teaching a class one day. Um, and, and thinking about it now, like I really wasn't prepared. I guess I did an okay job. Um, but now I'm so much better at that because of learning from my mistakes, asking questions. I think asking questions is really key. There are so many, I mean, one of the things that I really love about the OT program at LIU is that I'm surrounded by faculty and colleagues that are just so seasoned in their work. They're so seasoned as professors. They've been doing this for so long. They have so many good experiences to share that I've asked so many questions like, how do I do this? What do I do now? And I feel like students often are afraid to ask the questions like, oh, I'm asking too many questions or I don't want to bother you and ask a question or I was afraid to ask a question. I think asking the questions is where you're going to get all your information people that ask questions get good information. And um, even from experts in the field that you wouldn't think about reaching out to, I've reached out at conferences to Brent Braveman, for instance, who, who is a role model of mine and to other, you know, higher level, next level OTs and ask them my questions about what to do in terms of teaching, what to do, what to do in terms of my career, techniques, strategies. And I think that asking the questions is really so important. Um, to change, to pivot um, to different areas of practice, to bounce off your own ideas because people, students and other profession, you know, professionals, OTs will say to me like, what do you think about this? Or do you think I should go into this area of practice? Or what are your thoughts about me doing this? And if they didn't ask, they would just jump right in and it may not be the best choice for them. So I think asking the questions is really helpful. Of course, you know, you, 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 you learn to make failure, like you learn to make mistakes along the way. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Um, and that's part of the learning process. That's what I've learned over time is to sort of not stress about the mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. Failures are going to happen. But how can you learn from those mistakes? How could you learn and move on and be better for the next time? Um, and I, I don't, I, I know that I did not have that information when I started out as a student or as a new grad or even going into the private practice um, career change. So um, definitely asking questions, asking you know all different disciplines, all different professionals who are specialists in different areas questions because um, that's really where you get the good information. Most people are afraid to ask the questions. 
people, the experts will respond. They'll give you your, they'll give you time. They'll, you know, they don't mind and they're actually happy because you're looking to them as being an expert, but it's all about asking. That's, that's really what I think is super important in terms of that. I think um, anyone can make a, you know, a career change. Anyone can pivot and, and really change the course of their career. And during COVID, we sort of all had to do that to some extent. But I think asking the questions is really helpful along that path. Taking, you know, continuing ed courses is also, of course, helpful. And shadowing and volunteering is also helpful. Um, but I think asking questions is super important. You mentioned such a great point about just being flexible, which goes like hand in hand with our profession, especially with the COVID pandemic happening last year and asking questions, learning from your past mistakes to better propel you forward and for your future. So thank you for sharing that because sometimes a lot of us, at least as students, it's like, it's hard to sometimes like feel like it's okay to make mistakes and not be, it's hard to just pick yourself up and move forward. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure our listeners are really going to appreciate hearing that from a professor. So thank you. Um, we also wanted to know, um, is early intervention and pediatrics your favorite population to work with? It most definitely is. Um, so I, I definitely like to work with babies and I feel like a lot of my teaching stories are about early, I mean, I do work in early intervention, but I, I focus a lot on the younger babies and the younger children. and. Um, I also like the geriatric population. So I like the opposite ends, like the really young babies and the really older, older seniors um, for different reasons. I mean, for babies, I feel like there's so much potential. There's so much that you can do with them to help them and their families at that early stage. And um, they're really, you know, their brains are plastic. There's so much that you can do. Also, I love the connection to the family. I feel like at that point, going to homes speaking to the family, seeing their challenges, seeing what their strengths are and really working with them and leaving when they make that progress and when they reach their goals is so gratifying. Um, it's really gratifying. You also get a very, very strong connection to the family and they trust you and you, know, and you give your expertise and your time and your energy to them. And then when they're three, you walk away and some of the kids don't even need therapy anymore. And some of the families have gone through struggles with their child and they will continue to go through struggles, but you are there for them as a support. And I feel like that is such a strong thing. I've had families that I worked with for years ago, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and they're still connected to me. They still will email me. How are you? You know, send me pictures of their child. And I saw their baby when they were two years old um, or even younger, you know? So I feel like that connection is, is something that I really treasure and I enjoy. Um, with the seniors, I, I enjoy working with the seniors because they enjoy me. I can be funny with them. I can have conversation with them and I can also work on what's important to them. And I feel like they need that attention. They need someone coming to their home, asking them what they want to work on, what's important to them and making small changes for them that are big changes for them. You know, even just teaching them how to get on and off the toilet or to pull up their diaper is such a small thing for us, but for them, it is life-changing. And I think that is so, so important, so helpful. Um, and I, I really enjoy that as well, working with the seniors. Uh, this past year especially has been very, very challenging with that population. I've had several patients that passed away, several patients that got really, really sick. And um, it really made me more, even more grateful for that area of practice and for working with that population um, and for treasuring every moment, really. 
I love how you totally exemplify what OT is, how you work from zero to like a hundred years old. It's just, it's just, just shows how we can work with any population and really make a difference. I love that. Love that. Um, so, so nice. And as a new mom, I also can totally appreciate how you're there for parents who need that extra support if their child's not developing how they're supposed to be. So I, I can totally appreciate, you know, just when, when you're lost and don't know how to navigate that world, having you there is probably just so supportive and so refreshing for those parents. So that's such an incredible thing that you enjoy doing, especially going into people's homes because you never know what you'll, what you'll expect behind that door. So that's, that's really great. Um, so I was wondering, do you need any kinds of uh, special training to work in earlier intervention? Do you have to get any special certification or anything like that? So that's a good question. Um, so when you graduate as a with a master's degree or a doctorate degree, you can work in early intervention right away. However, when you work for an early intervention agency in New York State, you'll be considered a employee. Okay, um, that's fine. You'll get a lower you know, lower rate in terms of your pay. Um, and you can work from that first day. Now, when I graduated OT school, you know, they said that they would not, the agency said they would not hire anyone that didn't have a year of experience before they entered early intervention, because early intervention is sort of like a skilled area of practice. These are babies, you know, they're not preschool, they're more fragile, less, you know, um, just, you know, you really have to have, um, you know, you have to really be careful. They're babies, they're fragile. Um, so nowadays, that's not true. Nowadays, you can, as soon as you graduate, as soon as you take the board's exam, you can work in early intervention. However, um, you can apply for, um, to be an early intervention certified practitioner. And I am. What that means is that you are showing early intervention or the early intervention um, EIOD, early intervention department of New York State, that you have two years of experience, either in early intervention practice or a, an accumulation of coursework, continuing classes, experiences, field work, and you know volunteering in a facility that treats children that are in an early intervention program. So you need to show two years of experience. You apply um, after you feel like you have two years of experience, whether it be courses, field work, volunteering, um, any type of early intervention work, and then they either approve you or they don't approve you. Once you get the approval, you are considered an independent contractor and your rate increases, not substantially, but a little bit. Um, so um, I am a certified early intervention provider and that's what, you, that's what your title is when you become certified, which means that the early intervention department of New York State approves that you have two years of experience and you are considered a seasoned early intervention provider. Um, but there are tons of CEU courses, tons of classes that you can take. I've had new grads come with me in my car and watch me observe, volunteer their time just to get those hours. But um, I was lucky enough to have my level two field work before I graduated in an early intervention setting. So I had about three months you know, of that, that I could add on to my application. And then I had to work in early intervention for almost two years and take courses to get certified. So it's a process, but it's something that's definitely attainable. Thank you so much for sharing with us the path toward becoming an early, working in early intervention. That's very helpful in hearing how the journey works. 
Um, you mentioned earlier that you have been an author. Can you tell us a little about the books that you've written, uh, your, what your journey was like in starting to become an author? Sure, sure. So it's definitely been a journey and it continues. <laughs> um, I, I like writing, which is also another interesting thing because I don't think I ever liked writing before um, in my life. Like I, I didn't like reading and I didn't like writing. And all of a sudden, like I started to write and it, it like pulled me to it. Like you would come to my office pre-pandemic and I was like, no, wait, I'm in my zone. I'm writing. Like, please don't disturb me um, because I, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, once I started writing, I got this. So actually I was driving to work one day. I used to work at Hofstra University, which is in Long Island. And that's like an hour and a half from my house. I live in Brooklyn. And on my way to Hofstra every day, I would listen to podcasts in my car. And podcasts just spoke to me. They were inspiring. They were interesting. And one day I was driving and I had this idea for a book. And, I, you know, of course, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is crazy. Like, are you, you know, is this for real? You know, um, and I got to college and I started explaining what I was thinking to my colleagues and they're like, that's a good idea. And I'm like, okay, now what, now what do I do? Like, I had no idea what to do. What do you do with a book idea? Right? So I Googled, what do you do with a book idea? <laughs> and surely it says contact publishing companies. And I went online and I Googled occupational therapy textbook publishing companies or something to that, <laughs> for something like that. And I came out with all, you know, a bunch of a list and I emailed every single one of them. Hi, you know, would you like this idea? Would you, you know, and that's literally what I did. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to get any responses. Like, what are the chances that someone's actually reading the email and likes my idea? I got a lot of no's and then I got a, a possible. So Slack um, publishing actually reached out to me and they said, you know, could we have a conversation about this? This sounds like an interesting idea. Could we have a conversation about this? And I was like, are you for real? <laughs> Is this real? Um, and we had a conversation. They liked the idea. After they liked the idea through conversation, you send a book proposal. And a book proposal is not difficult. If you have your idea in mind, it's literally writing, why is your book going to sell? Why is it going to be different than other books out there? Why is there a need in the profession for this book? And what's your experience? Like, why do you think, why, do, why should we have you write this book as opposed to somebody else? And I sent that proposal in. And I think I sent it in in April of that year. And I was like, okay, and, you know, and I'll wait and I'm not going to get a response or they're going to say no. And I think October came and I got an email saying, hi, um, we're going to send you a contract. We like this idea. And I was like, also like, is this for real? <laughs> and um, basically they sent me a contract. I signed the contract, but the story goes on. This is the beginning of the story. Um, basically the pandemic hit. Right. So October, I signed the contract. I started working on it. I was so excited. It was getting done. I was sitting at my desk writing these pages and March came pandemic hit the, the planner, the MyOT journey planner was supposed to be released somewhere in the summer of that year. And the pandemic hit in March. And I still remember like thinking like, okay, um, now what's going to be with my planner? Like there's no college level virtual. We're not in person. There's no conference. And I reached out to um, my contact at Slack and I said, um, hi, um, what's going to be with this planner? And um, they basically assured me that everything's good. Pandemic's almost over and um, it's all good. I'll just be like a couple of weeks delayed. It's going to come out in September for sure. And I was like, I still remember I was at the park because I was stressing. I was walking around and having this conversation with him. And um, 
well, you can guess the pandemic happened and it's still happening and um, conferences were canceled and books were postponed and books were canceled. And um, a few months later, they, they emailed me like in June that they are going to cancel the contract. They could either postpone it and they don't know when they're going to postpone it until, or they could cancel it. And they, you know, and I could self-publish and they really encouraged me to self-publish. They felt really bad. And, um, I went into like a mini depression, not depression, but depression for me, because I didn't, I was like, this book is done. It was already in the publishing company already. And now it, it could be on hold for who knows how long, or I could self-publish, which I don't know how to do. What do I do? And I was torn and I started to cry <laughs> and I really didn't know what to do. And I called my colleague who I, was the one that I showed that initial idea to and she was like you need to do this you need to publish this book I don't care what you do you are going to do this and I also spoke to a bunch of my professors that I've had in the past at Quinnipiac and, and they they warned me about the self-publishing process because remember I said asking questions is super important so I asked them what do I do do I self-publish do I not self-publish and um, going into that with all the information that I had that self-publishing is a difficult process it's time-consuming I decided that I'm going to self-publish the planner because I felt it was a need. I felt there was a huge need, especially after um, the pandemic. Um, people are going through so many different difficulties, mental health, physical health, all of that. And a mindfulness planner is so helpful or could be so helpful for students and practitioners. And um, I ended up I didn't know what I was doing. I really did not know. I never self-published. I never published. Um, I reached out to different graphic designers. I got quotes and I worked with a graphic designer to design the planner, which took a few months. Then I had to find a printer and I had to go price out printers and discuss you know, how I wanted the planner to look and what I wanted it to look like and how I wanted it bound and all those things. And, um, and, I, and I did it. I, I actually went to the printer in Jersey City and I picked up those planners. And I, I, I still remember the day when I picked it up, I was so proud of myself, but then like also hesitant, like, are people going to buy this planner? You know, maybe I like it and maybe a few other people like it, but is it going to be useful for people? And that's the beginning of the story. I, I sold, I, I had two printings of the planner. We sold a lot of planners and um, I have another textbook that has like about 50 authors on it because I had another idea, which I saw how simple for me the proposal process was that I sent a second proposal to, to Slack, which is going to be published, actually going to be published um, pretty soon. And uh, I have a third book that's contracted with Slack that we're working on now. So it's very exciting. Um, but really, I started from the ground up, really doing your own research, not questioning yourself. You have an idea think it through, speak to people and just do it. Uh, if you think it's a good thing, it probably is a good thing. And if it's not, someone will tell you that it's not. I've given other ideas to Slack and they're like, no, this is not for us. Or maybe you want to self-publish this, but if you don't ask, you won't know. And that's really you know, what it comes down to, um, taking the jump and asking. And actually today, which is interesting, um, I still remember, and again, stories. Um, my husband got really sick from COVID in October and we were in NYU and we were there for, for a while. And um, 
I still remember this was two days after my, my planner was released. So I self-published the planner and then my husband got sick with COVID and I was in NYU. And I was like so torn between excitement and stress and, and nervousness and anxiety. And I still remember I was in the ER and I got an email from a, a past colleague of mine at a different college. And she emailed me how she saw the planner. She loves the planner. She wants one for herself and she's going to send, um, she's going to write up a, a grant proposal to get them for her students. And actually this morning she emailed me. So this happened in October. This morning she emailed me that the grant was approved and that she got approved to order the planners for the students. So that was very exciting for me today. It made my day actually. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Wow, I feel like we're along this journey now with you. Like you got the you congratulations on on that grant. That is incredible. Wow. Yeah, what makes me even more excited is actually that she's using the the planner. The the grant got approved to be used for research purposes with students, and that makes me even more excited because you know how I love research. Um, so <laughs> they're using the planner in focus groups to with occupational therapy students for research purposes. So that's really exciting. Wow, so they'll be like kind of um, studying the students and seeing how the journal, in, the planner impacts their day to day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going to be using the planner to, um, to measure, I'm not sure exactly what, but they're going to be measuring something um, in terms of student use of the planner. But I can, you know, I, I'm excited to get more details on it. It's just fresh and new from this morning and I wasn't able to get specific details, but it's exciting for me. Wow, that is super exciting. Wow, what an insane journey. And I just love how it just started with a simple Google search. Like that's just so, you know, 2020, 2021. It just that's amazing. And then from there, crazy roller coaster to get it published. Unbelievable. Wow, it's really cool to hear about, you know, the human aspect of what's what goes into getting a book published and just New, new, totally new for you too and navigating that journey so it's incredible your perseverance of just keep going and, and getting it done with that's just amazing amazing can can you tell us more about what exactly the planner is you mentioned mindfulness so just more about the planner and how it how it can help OT students and people in general Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, it's a regular daily planner. So it has, um, you know, space for the date and for all the appointments that you have during the day. Uh, but it also has different sections. So um, some of the sections focus on mindfulness, some of the sections focus on wellness. So and that's every day. So, you know, there's a quote of the day, which is, you know, um, very motivational and inspirational. But then it also has a section for gratitude, daily gratitude, which is so important. Like even today, getting that email from that professor that it was approved was so gratifying for me. That's a big thing, but even small things, like I start thinking about every day when I get up in the morning, what is one thing that I could be grateful for? You know, there's so much going on in the world right now. It's so stressful on all fronts, but even having the coffee in my mug taste good after I make it, is like something that I'm super grateful for because some days it's just not good. It's yucky. And, and, you know, and just having a good taste in my coffee is something that I'm grateful for small things. So I, I felt like giving students an opportunity to notice things that they're grateful for on a daily basis, even small things 
just makes you so much more positive. It sort of gives an upbeat to your day um, and that will help them succeed in school or at work, whatever they're doing. Um, there's also a section on kindness. So doing kind deeds, even one small smiling at someone, opening a door for someone, something so small can make a huge difference to the person that's actually doing it. Not even the person that's receiving, the person that's actually doing the act of kindness. Um, there are so many other sections on there. There's a section about drinking water, hydration, which is so important, sleep, which is super important, getting movement in and proper nutrition. And that's what a daily page looks like, um, pretty much. There's also weekly check-ins. So checking in on how you're doing in terms of all of those items weekly and then monthly. There's a goal writing section for every month and every week. Uh, it's important really to write down your goals. If you don't write down your goals and you don't know where you're going, you don't you, you have all these ideas and all these thoughts and so many things that you want to do, but unless you write it on paper, it's not real. Once you write it on paper, it's real. Whether you do it or you don't do it, it's still there on paper and it's something that, that could be done. Um, and I feel like that's super important for students and practitioners. Um, additionally, besides for the actual planner, there are 40 worksheets at the end that are super personal worksheets. So basically they, they focus on different topics. So um, talking about coping strategies, talking about uh, mindset reset and talking about procrastination, talking about all these different topics, the unknown and like, you know, COVID times, changes that happen, all these things. But really they're worksheets that start with a story that came from my own life and my own journey. So I share my personal story and then comes a worksheet that the, the student or the practitioner could fill out talking about their own experiences and how they're gonna work on this skill or how they can improve their own lives through this area. Um, so those are the worksheets. And after, when I sat and I read them, when I wrote them, I didn't really, I wrote them and, 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 and that was it. It was in a Word document. And then when I actually read them afterwards, I realized how much of my own vulnerability and my own soul and heart went into those. and it was heartwarming for me that I was able to open up about these things that are so hard for me and so personal. But I think that's really so important for practitioners and therapists really just to open up about their own vulnerabilities, their own things that they're unsure about, their fears. Everyone's feared, fearful of something, of, of a failure, of making a mistake, of saying the wrong thing, all of these things. And I think that's something that as OT students and practitioners, we have to sort of fight against. We have to stop. Um, you know, everyone's going through their own situation at any given time. And, you know, why not share? Why not get comfort and support from others during that time instead of just staying to yourself and being quiet and, you know, fighting through it? Um, Additionally, you know, they're the mindfulness motivational worksheets. So about 40 of those sheets, there's also coupons for students, um, which are give large discounts to things that students and practitioners love and need. So like CEU courses and masks, which at the time were needed. Um, also toys and equipment. A lot of the toy companies and equipment companies gave um, uh, discounts to people that own the planner and um, therapy ed, continue education courses, all these things. Um, a, lot of, a lot of coupons were in that planner. Um, there's also a quick reference guide with about like 40 quick reference pages um, to occupational therapy. So the nerves and the muscles, the innervations and um, range of motion, manual muscle testing, all of that stuff is in there as well. So it's like a good feel planner. Like OTs are good feel people, I feel like. And this is like something that's so hearty and so heartwarming and so like just 
good feeling. Um, so that's the planner in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, your planner really just encompasses everything. Yeah, I want it to be something that would be so help so helpful for students and practitioners, something that I felt like I could use when I was in school and something that I feel like my students would use or could use. Um, so yeah. Um, how can someone purchase your planner if they would like to buy it? Okay, so I had a website, but all my planners sold out, which is a good thing. Um, so, so if you would like a planner, I'm going to be doing another printing now because of the grant. Um, so you can email me directly at robin at fwdtherapy.com if you'd like to purchase a planner. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, um, my OT Journey podcast, actually OT Journey podcast at Instagram and my OT Journey at Facebook. And you can message me that way. Um, but yeah, the, the planners, I have my own planner. I keep it with my car with me every single day. Um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And also the process was so stressful and, um, but just exciting, you know, that I was able to do that. Like, I still remember every step of the way because it was, it was pandemic time and like, there was not much going on at that time. We were all home with our families and work was changing and everything was changing. And, and this was like such a, difficult thing for me. Um, I'm just glad that I got out of that, that I actually did it because I had a lot of thoughts of just leaving it and being like, forget it. It's fine. You know, um, but to actually see it in my hands and to see students have it is, is super exciting. Wow. That is awesome. I hope to be at conference this year. The conference is supposed to be in person. And I believe that um, Slack may distribute the planners this year. So We'll see. Then I could actually speak to people in person and show them copies of the planner. Yeah, that's amazing that the conference is starting up again. Conference is so great for being inspired to be an OT. And it just sounds like the perfect place that you can bring your planner to. Yeah, conference is a lot of fun. Love conference. Have you gotten any um, feedback from your buyers about your planner? Sure. So the feedback has been positive and one negative. <laughs> Actually, um, the initial, like I said, failures, right? People make mistakes. It's, it's good to own up to your mistakes. So like I said, I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of production of the planner. And the first printing of the planner, which was only a few planners, the paper quality was not great. And someone had actually emailed me that she loved the planner, but she felt like the paper quality could be better. And when I did my second round of printing, I changed the paper and it's much better now. So um, that was definitely one person out of everyone that purchased it, you know, um, said the paper could have been better. But um, again, that's how you learn. That's how you learn. If, if I didn't get feedback, I was looking for negative and positive feedback. If I didn't get any feedback, I think I'd be upset. Um, you know, of course you want it to be all positive, but that's part of the learning process. It's being, you know, having people be honest with you and letting them know what they like and what they don't like and learning from that so that when I make another one, I could just do a better job. Um, a lot of people sent me pictures, screenshots of their planners and their daily, um, you know, blurbs of their writing in their planners and coffee mugs next to their planners and all that fun stuff. Um, so that was really exciting. And uh, actually for my course this last semester, we used the planner. It was a mandatory item, um, a mandatory book for the course, which is a self-development course, um, which really aligned with the planner. So it was great to use it in class as a tool. Wow, that is so exciting. Just your whole journey about your, your, 
planner and thank you for sharing with us. I know it's very inspiring. I'm like, I want to go out there, just create and explore and be innovative. So thank you for inspiring us. Sure. Do you have any like final advice or last minute advice for our listeners regarding their journeys toward becoming an occupational therapist or continuing their OT journeys? Sure. So I have a lot of advice, but I'm going to stick to a little advice. Um, So um, I would say that um, as a student, as a new grad, as a student or as a practitioner, really what you have to think about is what you love. And um, if you are doing something that you don't like or that you don't love, then you're not going to be good at it. You're not going to invest yourself in it. um, And it's going to become a drag for you. You're going to burn out pretty easily. Um, We don't want that, right? We want to be practitioners that are are making impact, um, changing people's lives, changing the world. And um, you can only do that through following your passion, through doing things that you really love and enjoy. Not to say that every day of practice is enjoyable. I mean, this morning, my first case, I walked into a child's home and she vomited and had diarrhea. So again, did I love that? I did not love that. I couldn't eat lunch till uh, breakfast till about 12 o'clock because I was still nauseous from that. But um, most of my day is with things that I enjoy, things that I like, things that bring me joy. Um, I love the profession of OT and the fact that we can do so many things within our profession. And um, that is super helpful for us because we can do so many things in in one profession that you can switch areas of practice. If you don't like what you're doing, you can make your own practice area. You can invent your own product or your own podcast or your own book. There are so many different emerging practice areas or entrepreneurial avenues that you can go into within our profession that it gives so much space for people to do what they envision or what they love to do or what they've thought about doing but they really have to take that step. And if you don't take that step, then you're gonna be stuck in that job that you don't love and you're gonna be a grumpy person and not happy and burnt out really quickly. And you're not gonna, you're just not gonna be an overall happy person, which is gonna affect your entire life. Um, your relationships, the people that you work with, your family life, all of that stuff. So I think really doing what you love, not thinking necessarily about how, much respect you're going to get in that area of practice or in that job, how much money necessarily you're going to get in that job or that area of practice, but really thinking about, is this something that you want to do? Is this something that you enjoy? Is this something that you're going to want to wake up in the morning and go to work every single day? And, uh, and that could change over time. You know, you're not, you don't, some people stay in the same area of practice for years and some just don't. And that's really, you know, what is best for each person. And every person's different. Every person's journey is different. And understanding that I think is important because I know for me, like I said, when I graduated, Did I ever think that I'd be teaching and writing and podcasting and any of that stuff? I did not. I did not. And if you ask my professors in school, they probably laughed, um, you know, if I told them that because I was just doing pediatrics. That was me. I was a ped therapist. And um, I think that if you are in tune to what you like and what you don't like, and you're really mindful about it and you think about it and you think about how you feel and your thoughts and your emotions and um, all of that, then 
you'll understand when you need a change or when you need to pivot or, you know, what you need to change. Cause it could be that one small thing is really ruining your day or ruining your work experience, or it could be a person. And then maybe you just need to switch your job or your, you know, area um, or your location. So it's really important just to think about that. Like what is working for you specifically and what is not serving you and sort of try to mesh it out if you're not happy and see what exactly you could change and, and do it, actually do it. Don't be afraid to do it. Incredible, incredible. I love that advice that you have given to all of us and to all of the listeners. And I love how your mantra, I guess we could call it for life, is just focus on the positive, just filter out the negative, which is what your your planner is all about and what hopefully occupational therapy is all about. And and like you basically were saying is if you're not feeling it, shake things up, change, change it, just go, go, go somewhere else. I love that, you know, because a lot of people are like, it's fine, I'll suck it up, it'll get better. But, you know, you're telling us that what's worked for you is that, no, you don't have to, you can have a good life, <laughs> which is right. amazing yeah. advice. Yeah, I mean, there are some things about, I actually, I didn't, I didn't even share this before, but I had to close my private practices because insurance cut their um, reimbursement. And I, at one point I was able to hire nine therapists, nine OTs that were working for me, plus office staff. And, and that was great. I really, I rarely treated, I was more managing and supervising. And then one day insurance companies started to cut their rates and I wasn't able to pay my therapist. I couldn't make payroll. And, um, that was scary. That was really scary for me. What do I do? This was my baby. I worked years on building this practice and now now what? Do I walk away? Like, is it a failure? And it was really hard for me. I had to make that decision of what am I going to do now? Am I going to leave this practice that I built or am I going to struggle to pay therapists? And um, I chose to walk away. I wasn't able to do it. It was very stressful for me. And I chose to work as a therapist again to treat in the field because I enjoy what I do. Um, it was definitely heartbreaking for me to leave that practice. I, I still remember, you know, I was able to go on vacations much more frequently. I had a much more flexible schedule because I had therapists working for me and I wasn't working, but thinking about, you know, what needs to happen in, in every different moment of your life and every season is really where it's at. That wasn't working for me at the time. It would be too stressful not to pay therapists or to have checks bounced on me. So I had to move on. I had to pivot. Um, but every season is different and really seeing what, what's working in that moment is really what you need to do. So that, you know, that didn't work for me at that moment. Would I consider in the future? Potentially, but not right now. Um, so you really want to think about that. You want to think about what's working in the moment, which may change over the course of your career. Wow. Wow. What incredible insights from your journey that we can hopefully take into our own and know that things will hopefully might seem bad in the moment, but will hopefully get better and can turn things around. And I love this new term pivot. I thought it was only used in basketball. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it in other things now. So that's incredible. And yeah, that's my new word. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. The new buzzword. I love it. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you for just sharing everything about your journey, about your planner, just advice in general. We really appreciate you giving back to the podcast that you've been running. So it's nice to be able to switch things up a little bit. Thank Thank you so much, Dr. Axelrod, for joining us for our podcast today. We hope our listeners appreciated learning about Dr. Axelrod's OT journey. You can follow Dr. Axelrod on Instagram at My OT Journey Podcast and on Facebook at My OT Journey. If you want to learn more about charge therapy, we can be found at our website, chargetherapy.com. 
charge is spelled C-H-R-G, the word therapy.com. Or you can find us on our social media at Charge Therapy and Students in Charge for more tips and tricks. Charge Therapy provides ergonomic adjustments and home modifications through both telehealth and in person. Check us out and contact us if you would like to learn more. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.